Using all the magic at his command, Walt Disney brings you his wondrous all-cartoon feature, Cinderella. Sparkling with pure enchantment, filled with lasting enjoyment, and overflowing with unforgettable entertainment. The thingamabob that does the job is Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo. Oh, the magic of boo, of Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo. Pull them together and what have you got? All right. Uh, this movie I want to talk about next is one that I probably hadn't seen in over 20 years. Huh. But okay. I was glad to see it because I was... 20 years. So you must... This must have been when you were pretty little. All right. Uh, it's Disney's Cinderella. Okay. Uh, this was probably the movie that I saw the most as a kid, either because it was the only movie in my house or it was the only thing that would get me to shut up. <laughs> But I watched it last weekend, and I was surprised by how much of the movie I remembered. Yeah, well, there's a lot that's memorable about it. Right. And I was surprised also by just how beautiful it is. Yeah. It is a gorgeous movie. Mm -hmm. And I've mentioned before, I love Sleeping Beauty, which which is, I think, the last of that early Disney cycle. That was really distinguished by cutting-edge animation and just really beautiful visuals. It was also kind of a high point, too, in that it's also the, it was the first animated movie shot on 70mm. And oh. so it was in, like, you know... Sleeping Beauty, are we talking about? Well, Sleeping Beauty, not Cinderella. Okay, Sleeping... Yeah, but... But what I mean, though, is to say that was a culmination of the type of movie that Cinderella was sort of in the vein. Right. I mean, it starts with Snow White, which is the first animated feature film, mm-hmm. and and that and that uh, that type of movie runs all the way to to 1959 with the release of Sleeping Beauty. I think mm-hmm. that's 1959. I got to make sure. I'd say that there and were all kind the... of two. I don't know how you feel about this. Not I'll, we'll get back to Cinderella in just a second, but this just makes me think about how, in a way, there was kind of a period where Disney put out these movies and stuff like Snow White. Pinocchio probably. Yeah. And Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, they were almost kind of like high prestige pictures. Maybe yeah, Lady the Tramp as those, well. Those were the triple A upper echelon. And then releases. you have movies like Dumbo and Alice in Wonderland and maybe some of the more travelogue movies. I haven't seen all of those, like the well, Caballeros. And it's interesting though to kind of see both of those kind of movies that they did because they each had something to offer. Well, Dumbo's not a bad movie, and well, Alice Dumbo's in Wonderland's a super, and Alice in Wonderland's a superb movie. Yeah, uh, but there are also other movies that Disney is less proud of, like Song of the South, that come from that era. And of course, they were making shorts for yeah for various reasons. Uh, but Cinderella seems even as when I saw it as a kid, I kind of recognized. Oh, this is of like they're really going for something prestigious here. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, oh man, I just, I love this movie. Right. I, I, need, I need to see it more often. And it's, oh, da, 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 da. I, I'm trying to think of what to say now. All I remember now, is this the one with Ibbidi-Bobbidi-Boop? Ibbidi-Bobbidi-Boop, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, when they make the, the carriage. Right. And say what you will about Disney. Uh, I could say say what say what you <laughs> say what you will about Walt Disney that he was kind of a slave driver and that he uh, didn't like all the Jews no much. and uh, <laughs> and had some very bad priorities but 
the man produced a the man produced real art. He w- there's a reason why Disney has not only survived this long but also uh you know become pretty much like the biggest studio in the world. Yes, there is a reason for that. There is a foundation built upon it. And also keep in mind Disney uh it was during Disney's lifetime he championed the causes of making Fantasia, which is another one of my favorite films from Disney. Uh, and Fantasia is a film that has not been imitated. Kind of ahead yeah, of its well, time. Well, you can't really well. imitate it today. I don't think They that... made a sequel to it, which wasn't as good, but it was still decent. Uh, yeah. Nope, nobody has tried to make another film like Fantasia. It's hard to do. It's also... It's difficult to get... Frankly, I think that was also a different time when... And actually, I don't think Fantasia was super successful. No, when it, first it was came not. Out. It was only successful... Upon its many re-releases, you know, you it can't, was you successful can't... when it was re-released, and in the begin and before it, they showed Michael Jackson's Thriller. What Thriller got its got With a theatrical? Listen to me, Thriller got its the a theatrical release to qualify for an Oscar nomination, but they had to put because they had to put it in front of a movie. The movie they chose was Fantasia. Really? Yes. Uh... This is so so Thriller was like a short for Fantasia, you know, and they kind of fit thematically. It's about music, uh, so thr- that was where Thriller was first seen. Very different music. Yeah, but you <laughs> you do what you can. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, I remember seeing Fantasia when I was a kid, and uh, frankly, I think when I saw it too young because I think I was actually kind of bored by it. I loved it when I was young. I should have. I I loved it more when I got. I was at a point when I I watched Fantasia and I'd stop before the last sequence because I thought the the scenes with all the demons were too scary. (laughs) And it wasn't until later that you know when I was a teen that I I watched it again. Chernabog. Chernabog, sorry. Right. Uh, Apology accepted. (laughs) And then later on, I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. And it's. uh, But back to Cinderella. But back to Cinderella, it's. It's an elegant movie. Yes, it's and it doesn't, film. and it's uh, it do, it doesn't have like the big musical numbers that you ex, that you expect from Disney. They're very subtle and very short, uh, and there are very few of them. And it uh, and it's, aside from the animation just looking good, the story is also it, it really it really tugs at your heartstrings. It has it has a good marriage between having characters animated in that sort of more classy style which kind of dominated sleeping beauty and you know you have like the mice yeah and the mice i, I realized they kind of hold the film together because at yeah. the beginning at the beginning of the of the story of the you film, really need those mice at the beginning of the film the the scenes flow into each other yeah there there, there aren't there there are very few points where like a, sh- a, a scene fades out or it just cuts to something else. Yeah. The se- uh, there are scenes of the mice doing their thing and then Cinderella comes and then she does her thing and then that flows into another scene and that goes on for a very long time until you realize that, that there hasn't been that sort of uh, interruption where you just go to the other scene. The only time they stop doing that is to go to a different location altogether. And I was realizing, and it, all of that was, and I remembered all this happening the same way because I had seen it so much when I was a kid. And I was like, "Yeah, this is all from this is all just the way I remembered it." And they were they were doing all this stuff that was really impressive, and I never noticed until right that moment how impressive it was. Mm. 
yeah, no, I, again, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I still remember a lot of it. I remember the, it's the, it's the stepmother that's the villain, really. Oh, well, it's her man, and, yeah. Well, it's her and her daughters. Her, her daughters are kind of comical. Yeah, they are. I remember when they try to put on the slipper near the end. I, I think we can spoil Cinderella, hopefully, right? Yes, the spoiler, <laughs> the spoiler statue is long gone for Cinderella. Yeah, but... I think if you don't know the story of Cinderella, read a book. Yes. <laughs> Leave your house. Uh, but that's a very, that's a fun scene. The sisters, are, are they come off more comically because... Uh, I mean, they're ju- they're just kind of fools. <laughs> they're yeah. they're childish and they're stuck up, and and they don't have much depth because they're do- because they rely on and are dominated by their mother. Yeah, who is just so evil and so insidious, but in a believable first, way, not first, like not like laughing and making flames come out of her. The eyes. first time you see her in the movie, tell me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. She's sitting in the dark in her room, petting her cat. Yes, she's the antecedent of it, Doctor it, of Doctor No. Yes, or 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 whoever the Bond villain was that pet his cat. Yes, she, she her entrance is like a Bond villain. She's, yes. she's stroking a cat, and she's basically her demanding... cat's name is Lucifer. By the way, she oh, decided to name that. her cat Lucifer, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> questions it. Yeah, I remember, and she yeah she appears in the scene, and she's giving all these orders for. Cinderella to do her chores, and I remember as a kid that scene just being really sinister. Oh yeah, she's manipulative. She is. She's not just mean spirited, but she just ha- she has. It's ah man, she's, <laughs> she's just downright evil, but in a very believable way. Yeah, you know, and she even makes Cinderella wash her cat. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but, but uh but it's it's a very good movie. It has a lot of really fantastic animation. Um really good quality family movie that I think, you know, as you can attest to, it holds up when you're an adult, just yes. when you're a kid. Don't believe everything you hear about Disney princesses that they're they're bad role models or things like Is that. Is Cinderella really a princess though? Because well, she, she becomes a princess. Off- she does. I mean, she doesn't start. I mean, off Sleeping as Beauty kind of start starts as a princess, then becomes a peasant, then becomes a princess again. So I'm not going to split hairs over it. No, when if you were to really split hairs, like there are only really just a few. Is Tiana a Disney princess? They say she is, but she Tiana? has no. Yeah, from Princess and the Frog. Oh well. Hmm. No, she's she doesn't like. Well, she marries a prince. Yeah, at the you end, have Ariel, you have Snow White, and then you have Jasmine. Yeah, those are all princesses. But I mean, we're not going to be like, we're not going to talk about uh, no, royalty. Don't. All right, but well, don't believe on. all the negative hype about Disney princesses. The movies themselves are great, and when you revisit them as an adult, you'll realize why they're so popular. Yeah, they're, now they're there has movies. there yes there has been there has been backlash from, by uh, against Disney movies, and you do have to realize you know it's not. You can do different versions of these tales, but still, the Disney movies that first came out are still gems. Yeah, I think that most kids, if they're given, you know, I'm sure there are different Cinderella movies, and actually Disney Disney is doing a reboot of of or reboot. No, or they're or just doing a, they're they're doing a live action version, and I'm going to talk about that later. But let's get on to your movie. Okay, let's move on. So yeah, recommend Cinderella, of course. Um. I'll just talk about this one really fast. Uh, uh, I saw this. Oh. Well, I saw a movie 
with my wife called uh, The Boy Next Door. Your wife is called The Boy Next Door? That date was awful. Like that chicken. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't salvage it more, but uh, you the did damage fine. was done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I had you next door. <laughs> what? God, you're beautiful. You know that? Oh, no, I'm... Amazing. <laughs> Sweet. Natural and sexy. So sexy. Noah. My wife was kind of pre was kind of asking me, let's go see this. And I was kind of curious. Not in a way that I was expecting the movie to be very good, to be honest. What this movie is, is a, a, the first vehicle in a long time for Jennifer Lopez. Um, she plays this uh, high school... Now, this is where you might laugh or go like, What? Uh... She plays a high school classics teacher. Uh, what? No one teaches the classics. <laughs> oh, man. See, the I, classics? I, yes. Like, she's teaching Homer and, like, the Iliad in high school. That actually... I, maybe that, in a Latin class, but <laughs> there's no just class for the classics. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go on. <laughs> well, she try, they try to explain it that she's, you know, she teaches... Uh, well, no, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, she teaches junior English or whatever. But uh point is, yeah, she's an English classics teacher in high school. Um, this uh, guy moves in next door. This, like, 19-year-old hunk of beef. Don't ask me his name. And basically the movie's about how over... Uh, you know, he kind of insinuates himself sort of into uh, her family life. She's if you know gotten, what I mean. Well, well, she recently is split up from her husband. They're not divorced, but they're separated because um, he was kind of cheating on her. Um, she also has a teenage son who goes to high school. And he kind of tries to come in and, I'm going to kind of maybe be the handyman, help you fix a few things in the house and, uh, you know, befriend your son. And then on the st there's like a thunderstormish, you know, night and her kid and uh, husband are off for the weekend and so he comes over and, uh, you know, a couple of drinks and one thing leads to another. And, yeah, that happens. Um, you know, so and the thing is about this guy, he's 19. He's actually still in high school because he got, like, left behind. Jeez. Um, and, and, you know, he's one of these guys who, you know, they cast a, an actor who, even though he's 19, he looks almost 30. Um, <laughs> and he really stands out. Like, he... What happens is, too, he tries he to... He really got left back. <laughs> yeah. Well, but he also tries to insinuate himself by acting like he's a real Homer buff. Like, he's read the Iliad cover to cover and the Odyssey and really, you know, loves Homer. And, you know, they try they throw in bullshit, like, things early on in the movie. It, hopefully just, that, that goes away. Just shovel it on. Yeah. I mean, what this basically... And then, but the point is, she sleeps so, with him. She, th she realizes this is a really big mistake. And, you know, tries to tell him, all right, we shouldn't do this again. But he's nuts. And he wants to, you know, keep sleeping with her. And so he well, becomes of course, kind of like a Jennifer Lopez. Well, of course. You know, given. So, um, so is this like... It's a lifetime Is this supposed to be movie. like a, a horror... Th is this like thriller? Or is it's, this it's, like... It's a thriller. Yeah. It's pretty trashy. It's pretty stupid. Uh, it goes by pretty quickly, though. So there is that. 
my wife kind of confirmed to me that this is basically a boilerplate lifetime TV movie. Like wow. the kind of thing that you would have where... Um, and Usually, thing, and, it would, if it was on Lifetime, it would involve more heroin addicts and yeah, more and the thing child abuse. The thing that sucks is, uh, this goes back to when we talked about uh, Penetration Unks earlier, there is a lot of potential with this type of story. Um, you could have a movie If you're about willing to overlook a, the fact that Jennifer Lopez is a classics teacher, <laughs> then, yeah. that's On the one hand, uh, Chris Hemsworth as a super hacker. On the other hand, Jennifer Lopez as a classics teacher. Well, I'm not saying Jennifer Lopez can't be a classics teacher, but I mean, <laughs> in a high school? I, I, do you, I read part of the Odyssey when I was in high school. Yeah, part of it. And it was part of a much like, it was like part of an uh, English class, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I and never went out my t- way to And then the did you classics. ever talk about the Odyssey ever again? I guess not. No. I don't think I ever re- even read any of the Iliad, so. Yeah. See? But, um, <laughs> see, I thought I thought of you when that movie came out, because I know you like those books, but, you know, you're you're not in high school anymore. Right. Uh, but the point is, this movie, had, it's it's pretty trashy. It's, uh. it's kind of a disposable thriller. Um, the main actor in the movie, who's the, I call him a hunk of beef. I forget his name. Um, was it Mellow Yellow? Who, who, Mellow Yellow? No, what? The guy you were, whose name you were trying to pronounce earlier, who was in, uh, what's it called? The Violent Year. No, 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 no. What? Oscar Isaac? No. What? You, you were trying to, all right, never mind. All right, all right. I'll forget. Jeez, I have to go back. But the point, yeah. So, I I wouldn't really check for this movie. <laughs> Pre-listen to the podcast, you'll know what I was talking about. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's it's something that I'm sure is going to wind up on Lifetime pretty soon. Um. Oh, well, hopefully they'll make the money. Yeah. It, it it in the last act it becomes more almost like a horror film. Like the guy is almost like he can't be killed. Um. <laughs> And and he does all of these like crazy things to sabotage like the family cars, and uh, he's one of those guys who you know he you know, he goes vagina because crazy. because remember men are dicks yeah they are okay so moving on what's all the right next movie here's here? something I want to talk about Cinderella is getting a live action remake okay okay this in itself is not a bad thing but. I've also seen two other live action films with deal which deal with pre existing properties. I think, are the you first talk one about is what I think you are? Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. That the second one about. is Oz the Great and Powerful. Okay. Did you You'd never seen Oz the Great and Powerful? No, not until last night. Okay. I'm okay. interested to hear what you think about these movies. Now cause... let's let's talk about these movies individually. Someone has stolen we have my talk! Did you steal them? No, Your Majesty. Did you? No, Your Majesty. Did you steal them? No, Your Majesty. Oh, Your Majesty. Squidberry juice. I was so hungry! I didn't mean Open to... Open the deck! 
Alice in Wonderland is a bunch of uh, garbage. <laughs> and the reason it is is because uh, that movie was disappointing. Man. It's disappointing because the fantasy elements are really obnoxious. They're trying to put this epic fantasy story into Alice in Wonderland, which is not, in principle, a terrible thing. You can reinterpret old stories, but it's the way they do it is just really. They try to they it, they, it, they, it, they shoehorn it they into shoe... being Lord of the Rings. Yes, and. Every time they bring, and they talk about, oh, there's a prophecy, and someone will slay the Jabberwocky. And the Jabberwocky, here's the thing. This is my biggest nitpick for this. That's interesting, because I want to hear this, because the Jabberwocky was one of the few things that, well, I won't say I loved it, but I was kind of entertained by it. All right. The creature that that shows up at the end of of the film, which is voiced by Christopher Lee. Yeah, that's the part I liked. What is it called? It's the Jabberwocky. That's what they call it. I don't know what the creature is. In the books, the creature is called the Jabberwock. Okay. Jabberwocky is the poem that it's in. Okay. This is like if I called, oh, what do you call that animal that has the long snout and hunts through picnic <laughs> baskets and you see them in uh, in national parks? What are those called, Jack? Bears? Yes. That would be like if I pointed to a bear and said, oh, yeah, that's a berry. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, or what is that? <laughs> a bear. What is that long, uh, scaly thing that slithers on the ground? <laughs> oh, that's a snakey. But in the movie, they call him the Jabberwocky. Yes. Instead of the Jabberwocky. And I don't understand why. Because Jabberwocky is the poem. This is like a... This, I know this is probably like the most petty nitpick I could ever make about this movie. But it really bothered me because it seemed... Because it stood for everything that they misunderstood about the mm. story of Alice in Wonderland. You don't have to go back and redo the whole story like the book. You should not do that because there's a book and we have a book. What you have to do is understand the source material and see what's appropriate for it. See how you can adapt it appropriately. Like having a dancing Johnny Depp. Right. (laughs) Having Johnny Depp play the Mad Hatter and do a break dance. That is not appropriate. Adding Uh, in battle scenes with all sorts of chess pieces and cards. Not appropriate. uh, Having Alice behead the Jabberwock. Also inappropriate. The fact there's a lot of stuff you could do with this. You could you could focus on the author and his weird relationship with small girls, or you could focus on <laughs> yeah, Alice herself and think like there's so many ways you could adapt this, and they chose the blandest, least interesting way. Yes, I I don't even care about whether I don't even care about the fact that Tim Burton didn't do much with this. The script was the problem. I will say there's one thing I really like in the movie. Okay. Helena Bonham Carter as the Red Queen. She's good. I mean, she but, was. But she's, I liked her. But a she's lot. just a good actress. She does whatever, and she. But I even like the job. kind of look. That was genuinely weird. That was Tim Burton actually trying to do something. Of you could, I, I felt like that was his own making, and it worked. And granted, it was surrounded by a lot of crap. Yeah. But at least there was that sort of nugget that I could recognize. It was just. It was. A, it was kind of a bland. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, like when I think back to that movie, like I saw it in the theater, and there were times where I was just kind of sitting back in my seat, like, "What am I doing here?" And then other times where I was just flabbergasted 
again, Johnny Depp dancing, which seems, I know they say, I know he mentions that he can do it in the movie, but when it happened, I was sitting there aghast. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it's, fortunately, it's mercifully short. But yes, uh, <laughs> to you it seemed like five years. I don't know. You know they're doing a sequel. Really? Of course. I don't nah. think Tim Burton's directing it. It's a different guy. Actually, I get. I think they got the guy who's who did the recent Muppet movies. All right. Maybe well, he'll do a different. But all right. But talk about Oz the all Great. Right. And Powerful. Oz the Great and Powerful. I'm actually, I liked this better. I like this movie a lot. Uh, there are a few problems with it. I will say the good things I liked about it. Okay. I like the ending. Huh. Like this, the uh, I like how the climax. Uh, this this movie started off kind of underwhelming, and it and it gradually got better, mm, okay. uh, and it re- and it really got better towards the end. And I liked how it ended. Uh, the problems I think with this movie stem from the fact that it's James Franco in the main role. I actually kind of liked him as. But Oz. here's the thing. I think that he played. What this movie basically is, you know, this is directed by Sam Raimi. Right. He kind of looked at it as doing, uh, he took the Oz framework, and in a way, I don't know if you've seen Army of Darkness. Yes. This is kind of like him remaking Army of Darkness. You know, you have a character who goes into, you know, this other time, and, you know, he's kind of a charlatan, uh, but he's kind of put in charge of this great task, which he isn't really up for, but he has to kind of, and there is a scene it. in both movies where, the, where the, where the main character teaches them how to make gunpowder. Yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> that's a, that's actually an interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't thought of that last night. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, see, I kind of like James Franco. Yeah, he is. There are scenes where he kind of does that, you know, big smile and looks really goofy, <laughs> but I think for what the role asked of him, he, he rose to the occasion. But now, is it one of his best performances? I don't know. But, like, he played a convincing con man for, for what I wanted. Now, I don't think he was very convincing because he doesn't play... He doesn't seem like a showman. Hmm. I, the reason Oz gets into trouble... Uh, what What is, like, his real name in the thing? Oz something. It's a long Oswald name. Oswald something. Oswald or, uh, Cobblepot. Everybody calls him Oz. <laughs> and somehow he conveniently goes to a land also called Oz. Fortunately, yes. we don't have to do any name changing. Uh, but here's... But the reason he gets in trouble and the reason that he's ultimately successful is because he is, as you said, a con man. But he has to be... But to be a con man, you have to be a fast talker. And you have to be deceitful. Uh-huh. Uh, and he doesn't have that sort of fast-talking showman showmanship about his role, and the script also lets him down too because it it does it. Do- Here's a guy who who he's a magician and he's sort sort of you know and he's trying to scam his way through life. Right. So he, we should not like him at the beginning of the movie. Hmm. I mean, he he does at least. It's about like, he does want something though. He, yeah, I mean everybody and every. Uh, it gets back to the idea of the redeemable asshole. I want to go with you. What? Uh, on a witch hunt? No, you're just a little girl. I'm not as delicate as I look. That didn't hurt. I'm coming with you. Listen, we have one rule in show business. Never work with kids or animals. 
I'm already working with this thing. Relax. The answer's no. Oh, no. Don't, don't do that. You're fine. You're gonna leave me alone. Look, you're, you're fine. On a road. In the middle of nowhere. All you have to do is take the yellow brick road. You'll get there. It's crying again. What do I do? Oh, no. Off. Come on. Off. Off of there. Get off. No, get off of there. No dolls on the witch hunt. Fine. Fine. You want to come? Come. We'll all go. It'll be a big party. Great. Let's go kill ourselves a witch. Yeah, I will say that's, that that was that was what Oz's story arc was supposed to be. He's supposed to start off as this sort of con man nobody, and who's uh, and you know all of his problems are basically his own doing. And then he ends up in this situation where he has to actually do something, and and then he's supposed to grow and learn mm-hmm. to care about things and take responsibility. But I mean, in the beginning, you have no reason to dislike him because he's. Uh, he, because he's just you, you he's just see him having is. regrets and you know you see him like uh, uh the he, he seems only too sympathetic so he, he seems too sympathetic at the beginning and okay. we're like yeah we have to and it's like the script says yeah we have to like him from the beginning it, they don't show him being terrible and you needed him to be more of an asshole at the beginning i thought he had a bit of an asshole he had a bit of it but then there's that scene but then like he has it where he he does that thing with the music boxes, yeah, and you know where he mistreats his uh, the audience his, member. His, no, he uh, not the audience member, his assistant. Oh well, that that too. And uh, he uh, and things like that. But then like he has that conversation with Michelle with that Williams. woman that he, that he loves, yeah, and Michelle like Williams. and he's and you know he seems good and everything like that. Uh, but it, it doesn't go far enough. It, he he needs to be more of a jerk. <laughs> James Franco needed to be more of a jerk in that film. You know what might make and then, you a little pissed off? What? The original actor considered for the part was Robert Downey Jr. That could have worked. The way that you're describing it, that, that kind of fits his description, doesn't it? Yeah, more or less. I, I would believe Robert Downey Jr. a little more as an asshole. I don't, you know, James Franco, he's, he's too likable, I think. Um, I... And he didn't, and he and he just seemed too likable in this movie. Hmm. But then you said you liked it the more as it went along. Like, yeah, I'm guessing I... that you probably liked when he. Without once saying the plot too much... got once the plot got into gear and we started ramping up towards the climax, I was like, oh yeah, this is interesting. And then when the big he... sort of show comes up and at, at the climax, I'm like, yeah, that's a good way to do it. It really ties it in with the Wizard of Oz and it, uh, and it's exciting. And you know they have a montage of everybody getting ready and making mm-hmm. preparations for this thing, and it's the way I I expected it to be because he's going to use deception and he's going to use sleight of hand and misdirection, the things he's good at to help everybody, right? Which makes sense. I mean that's who his character mm-hmm. is. There, yeah. He uh, he just uh, the character just didn't come together well enough in the beginning. I got what you're saying. Uh, also, I, I don't know if I quite felt that way, but I, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah. Also, uh, one thing I do want to mention, the that sort of girl who's made out of China. Oh, she looks, that scene where they introduce her. Yeah. That's like, wow, like this is a moment in a movie where 
you know, so many, you know, there a problem with a lot of kids' movies is if, like, you introduce kind of cynicism or something like that. That's one of those moments where it's like, I was watching the movie in the theater. I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm a kid watching a movie. Yeah. This is kind of tapping into, like, something that is kind of innocent and nice and pure yeah. as a dramatic moment. And the special effect is great. Oh, it's so good. That doll girl looks fantastic. Yes, I, it does. I, I, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Oh. A lot. <laughs> Even though it's CGI, it looks it, like... It's, it's obviously real... CGI, but it's very, very good CGI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... Now, here's what I wanted to get at, which is, which is why I'm talking about both these movies at the same time. Well, yeah, they're both Disney, Disney... genre offshoots. Right. Now, Oz Great and Powerful isn't, isn't, an, isn't a live-act adaptation of an animated film. But this isn't the first time Disney has been doing this. Early, late in the 90s, Disney did two adaptations of animated films, made them live action. Do you remember 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close? Yes, I do. Do you remember The Jungle Book? Vaguely. I saw that in the theater. Kind of kind of scared the oh, crap out of me. You mean the 1994 Jungle Book movie? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I. Oh, that but that's another one they're doing this year. Oh, again? Yeah. And then, recently, uh, Maleficent... Alice in Wonderland and Cinderella. Now, the only one of those films that was necessary was Maleficent, because she was the best character in Sleeping Beauty, and she needed her own movie. But Disney keeps adapting their own stuff into live action. And the reason is, we know the reason. The reason is they're trying to make more money off of the same stories. They're... Well, it's not only Disney, though. It's a lot of other studios doing this kind of thing. Um, Ghostbusters. Well, Ghostbusters. The new Ghostbusters movie. You can make out. a sequel of Ghost. Well, they're rebooting it right now. Yeah. Right? But Disney, but for Disney, this is especially strange because it's not even like a reboot. It's just they're taking the same story, but they're just doing it in live action. Well, no, but they know what they're doing. They know that, like, hey, our kid demographic liked this let's give them more of that it's market research bs it's like but i mean but the basic concept is they're just they're doing they're making the same movie just to make money off of that original idea why else would you re why why else would you remake 101 dalmatians but just do it in live action um i have are you ka-ching Yes, obviously. <laughs> well, welcome to Hollywood, my friend. I understand that, but I mean, it's 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 just strange that everybody else hasn't caught on. Like, I, in Malef- what way? Like, you mean like other studios remaking? No, their I mean own audiences. Oh, the well, I well, the, the thing I, is, you do realize that well, they're Alice just remaking was... the same movie, but with real people instead of animation, right? See, Oz how is, is that a... better than the original thing? Oz is a little different though. yes that's least, a prequel well and... that's at least that's a property where see that's a weird case because in that case um the wizard of oz itself is owned by mgm right like they have that property and they have that kind of under lock and key like that was and it's funny because oh yeah you'd be an idiot to give that away well i was actually reading up it's weird that you're bringing this up because the other night i was i forget why but i was reading up on wizard of oz trivia and Disney really desperately wanted to make a Wizard of Oz movie, but MGM kind of snapped up the rights first. Okay. But but then Disney in the 80s. Now, I haven't seen this movie yet. I think 
maybe we talked about. Did they this. make Return to Oz? They, Disney made Return to Oz. I haven't seen that. But, um, uh, okay, I might have to talk about this on a different podcast one day. And I actually haven't seen the movie, but I have a friend who's like super obsessed with the movie. Uh, so Disney did do. They did Return to Oz, and then they made this movie, which has connections to the Wizard of Oz, and yet the thing is. Uh, the actual books, there's a whole series of Oz books, right. which aren't... It's a weird thing, because MGM owns the rights to Wizard of Oz, but you have a lot of other Oz products. Like, there was this really awful movie I heard... Of, I don't know if you've heard about uh, The Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return or something. <laughs> Did you hear about that? There was no, an actual that... film that got released on thousands of screens... It Dorothy's was... back and she's pissed. <laughs> yes. She wants those fucking slippers. Um There was an animated uh tele there was an animated television series of The Wizard of Oz. I remember it was like a Saturday that. morning cartoon. I remember that, I think. I don't know if I saw the Saturday morning or I think like I saw on HBO. It was very much modeled on the original movie though, so I don't yeah. know how much Yeah, that was more that was more who, attached to who the owned movie. that. Yeah, so, and it's a weird thing, because when you watch Oz the Great and Powerful, it has a lot of the familiar characters, and of course they have the familiar looks, but I have to wonder how they maneuvered around certain things, or if they used the book in a different way. Well, because it is basically, it has the same kind of framework. The first part's in black and white, and then it becomes color when they go to Oz. Well, you don't have, nobody has the patent on transitioning from black and white to color. No. <laughs> Keep in mind that was also a transition from that was also a transition from small screen yes. to full screen. But but the point is where I'm getting at is though Oz is great and powerful. I can see Disney looking at Oz and thinking, well, you know what, we haven't made an Oz movie in a while, and, and our other one was Oz, just weird. Yes, so. Return to Oz flopped hard when that came out. But Oz is still a popular property. Wizard of Oz is. You know, still one of the most popular movies of all time. Uh, so uh, let's yeah. go back to that. That's different than you know them doing Alice in Wonderland is just lazy. That's them basically being like, "Hey, we got Tim Burton, we got Johnny Depp." Helen Bob Connor comes in comes in free. Off his head. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, the thing is, with Disney will do what they want to do. They don't give a fuck. They, you know, and now they're the biggest studio. They have Marvel. They have Star Wars. You know, unless if those, mo unless if eventually people get tired of Marvel movies or Star Wars movies, they're not going to have any trouble for a while. Well, that's not happening anytime soon. No. So let's go to you. Okay. Now I have since, only one movie left, so let's see. What all right. Got. All right. Well, since you talked about two movies, I will talk about two movies. Um, and Ooh, the thing that connects well them played, together. Well um, Well, the thing that connects these two movies together. Um, is the lead actress, uh, Julianne Moore, uh, who's one of my favorite actresses working today. And um, one movie I, I kind of had heard about for a while, and I decided to just check out, because it got recently released by the Criterion Collection. Hannibal. I, I wish. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, Clarice. 2.0. Bowels in or out? <laughs> what? Bowels in or out? Oh, oh God, don't worry. All right, but <laughs> actually, it's not that terrible a movie. It's it could have been worse. So, what movie are you going to talk okay. about? Okay, this is a movie. Oh, well, I'll talk about two movies. One is called Safe, and the other one is called Still Alice. Um, 
this and and they have a and it's weird because they have like one a little thing in common, but I'll get to that. Uh, and actually, this takes us back to the 1980s to talk about the movie Safe. Uh, it was made in 1995, but uh, Julianne Moore plays an umpire who's having trouble in her home. She has to decide between a career as an umpire and as a life as a stay-at-home mother. Yeah, that sounds more like a sitcom than a movie. Maybe. I copyright the idea. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. This takes place in 1987. Uh, the movie Safe. Um, it's it takes place in like the San Fernando Valley in California. At Julianne Moore is this housewife to this uh, kind of successful upper middle class guy. Um, she kind of just spends her days sort of, you know, decorating her home, uh, you know, going out to eat and lunch with her friends or whatever. Kind of like a sort of empty, vacuous life. Bourgeoisie. A little bit of bourgeoisie, yeah. <laughs> um, but over the course of... Not for your first world the, problems. Yeah, first, goddamn first world. Um, in the first act of the movie, she she finds that the world is kind of getting to her in some ways. Like, she's driving, and there's this car in front of her that's laying out all this exhaust, and she starts coughing, and she gets, like, a huge coughing fit. And, like, she has to go park in a lot and try to, you know, find room to breathe. And she kind of starts just having trouble to breathe in places and uh, getting, like, really bad headaches and uh, just kind of feeling sick some of the time. And she doesn't know what's happening to her. Like, she goes to the doctor. He says, you're fine. Uh, you know, maybe, like, you shouldn't have so much fruit in your diet. You know, he, you know, the doctor doesn't really know what's going on. Um, but it seems like everything in the world, there's all, like, these... She she wonders if, like, are there all these chemicals that are getting to me? Is, like, I'm, am I having some kind of weird disorder of some kind? And she finally discovers that there's this... Uh, like center out in sort of like the desert uh, for all these people who also are kind of like sort of germaphobes, but also just the smog and, you know, all the disgusting crap of the world are getting to them. They're very neurotic, just odd people. And so she goes there to try to maybe see if she can, you know, straighten herself out somehow. And, so it charts this woman sort of just like, uh, you know, trying to find herself in this way of trying to clean, you know, make herself better. And yet, uh, without saying too much though, in a way it doesn't really work. It becomes kind of a tragedy because even though it's like all these people tell her, Oh, you're, you're getting so much better. But on the outside, she just looks sicker and sicker. Um, the movie was made by this guy, uh, Todd Haynes, who's a very interesting filmmaker. He uh, kind of starred in the early 90s, um, but actually maybe you would know of this. Um, he made a movie in the 80s, which kind of didn't get released uh, due to music <laughs> rights issues. Kind of didn't get released. Well, no. Um, it's a movie called Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. Oh, I um, love Superstar. You've seen it? Yeah. Okay. I've seen part of it. This is the movie where, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a story of Karen Carpenter and how she kind of disintegrated it's, um, because it's, of her anorexia. Right. It's a docudrama where, where every, everybody is played by dolls. Yes. The entire movie Barbie is dolls. full of Barbie dolls. And they, the, the, the Carpenter estate uh, 
stop the release because, you know, they use songs without permission. There's also uh, the fact that the Carpenters, as a family, aren't shown in a very positive light. No, not at all. <laughs> it kind of shows, you know, Karen Carpenter is a pretty messed up person. Well, I mean, I don't think... Uh, well, I mean, she came it, from that celebrity life where there was a lot of pressure and... Well, yeah, she was under a lot of pressure, but I don't think the movie was making a point that she was messed up as a person. She she suffered from anorexia, but that stemmed... But the point it made, I think, was that that stemmed from the controlling nature of her family. Yes. And in a way, that, I feel like, kind of connects a little bit into this movie that I saw, Safe. Now, the thing... Now, her family, you know, her husband... And she also has a son. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore's character. In Safe. Yeah, in Safe. I'm, I'm trying to clarify that. Um, and she has a stepson as well. Um, so it, but, but she had, but again, she, but she goes to this institute and all these people try to help her or she tries to maybe get herself clean. And by the end of the movie, she kind of ends up in like this, on this, on this institute, there's this one spot where they have almost like an igloo. That you know is really separated from all other chemicals outside, uh, or just not even chemicals, just like all air, so you're completely insulated. Um, and it's, I think, part of the movie is like a bit of an analogy to the AIDS crisis in the 80s. Hmm. Uh, the fact that people were getting affected by this virus and people didn't, you know, people didn't know what this was for a while, like, people were really afraid of AIDS, they thought that. You know, you could sneeze on me, and I might get it. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of mania about, about that. The nature of AIDS. Yeah. Now the movie does. It doesn't say that she has AIDS. Like they actually mention AIDS in the movie, and that I guess maybe someone else has it or something. Um, but it, there is that analogy I think made. Um, I think there is a conscious decision on that part in the movie. It also, you know, it's it's a very. The movie's a drama, but it's presented in a way where things at times they can get a little dramatic, but they're not presented in a super melodramatic way. It's you're watching this character uh, go through her life, and she doesn't really have anything of her own in a way. I mean, she has this big house, which is thanks to her husband. She has a stepson, uh, but that's you know not really her kid. She doesn't really have much of an inner life in a way. And so she's trying to kind of grapple with that uh, throughout the movie. Uh, she's this one. She's the kind of person that Julianne Moore gives this character a voice, like, you know, I'm I'm a very, you know, this kind of person. I'm a little withdrawn, and you know, I'm just gonna talk like this a little bit. And uh, it's just a fascinating, fascinating movie. It's, and you get really wrapped up in the drama of it, even though, again. It moves very naturalistically in a way. The, the acting is very... Uh, it's not at all showy. Um, but Julianne Moore is astonishing in it. This is the movie that really kind of propelled her career forward. Like, this was her first real uh, starring role. Uh, after this, then she got uh, Boogie Nights and all the other movies that came after it. Um, and especially, like, the last shot of this movie. Uh, it's also very eerie. In a way... Uh, when I was watching it, I was reminded of uh, another movie which I've talked about in this podcast, which was Foxcatcher. Right. Where every, the, the tone of the movie is very eerie. It's That's the word that you would really use to describe safe. It's like 
you almost get kind of a culty vibe uh, when when she goes to this institute. Again, it's out in the desert. It has this vibe of people who, um, you know, how exactly they're getting themselves better, who knows? I mean, they're not doing drinking, they're not doing drugs, uh, but there's something about the way that they communicate to each other where, are you really helping me, or are you doing something that's really going to mess me up? Um, so it's a really unique movie. It, I think when it first came out, Actually, it's funny how this this film kind of gained a reputation over time. Uh, like on the DVD, they had an interview where they talk about they first showed the movie at Sundance, and there were all these walkouts. <laughs> and especially because Todd Haynes had made another movie called Poison, which was really highly acclaimed. Um, since then, he's also had a really fascinating career because he also made uh, and let me I don't know if you've heard of these movies, but Velvet Goldmine, which was a movie That's with a David Christian Bowie Bale. Song. Yeah, well, it's a movie. Well, it's about a character, not David Bowie, because they couldn't get the rights. He was too busy doing Labyrinth. <laughs> I was off doing Labyrinth. Uh, <laughs> you sound like you're you're doing the Monster Mash. <laughs> Still don't know what I was waiting for. Ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. <laughs> <laughs> Turn Fondy to house, face the strange. From the house secrets travel. <laughs> now I'm sounding like Count Chocula. Uh, okay, no, but it's a movie about not David Bowie and not Iggy Pop. Okay. All right, so there was that. He made a, a really interesting melodrama called Far From Heaven, also with Julianne Moore. He made the movie I'm Not There, which is about the uh, six Bob Dylans. Um, you know, one of them played by Kate Blanchett. Yeah. And actually, the interesting thing in that movie, um, for me, it was kind of fascinating when The Dark Knight came out because you had Christian Bale's Batman, Heath Ledger as the Joker, and I'm not there. They both play Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so there's that. Um, he also did a mini series of Mildred Pierce, uh, an adaptation with Kate Winslet. He's so he's a, one of these filmmakers who really has a point of view and the movie's safe like i said it's not like any other movie i've seen again it has that kind of bourgeois satire that you might get with a buñuel movie possibly um you know it really seems a little darker than than it's a lot darker it's very sinister in a way that it's hard to describe because it keeps everything at a certain level and and yet you're still invested in the Very characters. understated, but it's still tense. It's understated. Very, that's a good word to use. Understated and eerie. And it's like something could happen here, and you don't know what. And by the end, uh, th- there's a shot with Julianne Moore looking at a mirror, and it's just like your heart breaks watching it. Mm-hmm. So, And going from that movie, uh, so I saw that on DVD, uh, and you can get it now in the Criterion Collection. I highly recommend that. But recently, um, she had a movie come out called Still Alice. And this is the movie that she is up for the Academy oh, yeah. Award. She'll probably win. I saw the trailer for this um, one. The thing in this movie is she plays a, lingui- a linguistics professor. And she linguistics? starts... Linguistics? Who teaches linguistics? <laughs> <laughs> What's with you, Mike, and like people teaching things? First, I spent a lot of time in schools. Well, this is college. Ah. 
<laughs> yeah, Bach College. So she's a linguistics teacher, and she's a linguistics she... professor. Oh, professor, right? I should use that term. I say. Well, that's different. Oh yeah, teacher professor. Ooh. But she uh, in but this anyway, movie she, she has early onset Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, she discovers you know while she's running and just going about her life that she's starting to not remember things, and so the movie charts her kind of downward progression, you know, having Alzheimer's. Uh, going into the movie, it was interesting because I thought, I don't know why, but I thought that the movie was about how she was a linguistics professor who lost her ability to make words, like to speak. And I thought that sounded a little gimmicky at first, but the movie wasn't like that. Well, she learned sign language. Uh, but if she has Alzheimer's, she'll forget how to do that. Here, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt you, but I will. Uh... This is almost the kind of movie I never see because it's, it's whenever I see a film about someone who's living with Alzheimer's or about can or cancer or some sort of terminal disease, it's a little too sad. It, it, well, it, it it seems depressing to me. So, what so makes... talk to me about this movie. How does does it get past this? Is there a reason that some, that I would want to see this movie? Yeah, I think that well, for one thing, Julianne for... Moore's performance makes it very life affirming in a way. She's this woman who, you know, she doesn't just give up. You know, she keeps wanting to try and keep her mind sharp. Um, and it kind of depicts her struggle. I mean, it is... I, I would say that for the person going into this movie, uh, the performances help keep it up a little bit. Um, she, her husband uh, in the movie is played by Alec Baldwin. Uh, he's very good. He kind of is surprising just in the sense that a lot of his performances, you think of him as the guy from 30 Rock or something. You think of him as the smarmy guy who he's very good at playing at uh, a sarcastic businessman or something. Um, or he, you know, he popped up in a movie I talked about in our first podcast, uh, Gungary Glenross as the pushy uh, real estate man. Uh, but here he has to play a role just as the caring husband, somebody who's trying to stay by, you know, her wife's side. And yet you have this conflict of, can I still, you know, love this person if she doesn't even know who I am, you know, if she forgets who people are. Uh, the other interesting thing, um, her, she, uh, the, one of her, she has kids in the movie, the character of Alice, and one of them is played by Kristen Stewart. Hmm. And she's very good in the movie. Like, well, that's I'm surprised. good. You know, I mean, you get, you think that, of uh, Twilight. And... I also think of Snow White and the Hudsman and how underwhelming she was in that. Well... But did but did that role require a lot of acting? You could still if you act. know what I mean. <laughs> and you were talking about Helen and Bonham, Bonham Carter and Alice in Wonderland. I but those those are different kind of roles. No, and, and it's when not you're, about... if you're comparing that, then you bring up Charlie's Theron. But you can see bad. A, you know bad acting when you see it. I, I think I get what you're saying. I Chris. Uh, when Chris she, the Stewart. point is that in a way. It's better for Kristen Stewart to play an actual person in a movie. Well, yes, with that's someone a plus. with dimensions, and that's what the character she plays has, and she plays her daughter. Um, I think what separates it, what doesn't make it so much sad, is that, um, and it, I'll admit it is kind of a sad movie, but it's the depth that they t pay attention with the character, and that how much you want to see this character come out okay at least a little bit in the movie um mm -hmm. and that's what kind of connects in a way with the movie safe is like you're watching this woman kind of deteriorate and 
you know, come to terms with that? And how are you going to, how is she going to become a little bit better? How is she going to try and overcome this? Or will she not be able to? And as kind of portraits of femininity, as portraits of, um, you know, str- you know, figuring out what is health in a way, they're, they're captivating films. Mm. Um, I'd say I liked safe more, uh, but still, Alice is a is a worthy film. I I went into it kind of just expecting, okay, maybe this will just be kind of teary Oscar bait or something like that. And there's more to it than that. There's more depth to the characters, and I think that's what makes it kind of rise above um, being just like a simple tearjerker. Okay. 